Relax. If you want to, close your eyes. It's a powerful story, but let me introduce you first to the people we will meet as the story is read. David, of course, is the king of Israel. Absalom is David's fourth son. Maacah is his mother. Tamar is David's daughter. Maacah is also her mother. She is Absalom's full sister. Amnon is another son of David, David's second son, two before Absalom. Ahinoam is his mother. Tamar is his half-sister. Jonadab is David's nephew, the son of David's brother, Shemiah. Jonadab is a first cousin to Amnon, Absalom, and Tamar. This is a family system we're looking at this morning. Listen to the text. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's other son, loved her. Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. He said this to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But Amnon would not listen. To her. The end of the reading. 
It's a typical story of abuse. 3,000 years old. David was king in Israel around 1,000 B.C. He was king in Israel when this happened. At first look, the story from the Bible reveals one type of abuse, sexual abuse. But a farther look reveals layers of abuse with multiple individuals in this family. This family system was broken. It was what we call today dysfunctional. I challenge you to find a family in the Bible that is functional. Every one was broken. I'm so glad because that means I'm included. And so are you. But that doesn't mean we need to accept dysfunctionality. It needs to be pointed out and dealt with, and God does deal with it. Sadly, it's a story we hear all too frequently in our society. The truth is, most of these stories are never told, let alone written down so people can read about them 3,000 years from now. They are hidden deep inside those who are abused, as well as those who do the abusing. To speak to the matter of abuse this morning, we've asked two friends to join us here. Kathy Bergstrom and Karen Baker, would you please come? Thanks for joining us. Karen, could you uh, begin this morning now and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'm Karen Baker, and I'm married to Ken Baker. We have been here at Bethany for 13 years since we moved here from northern Illinois. We have two children, Stephanie and Nathan. Stephanie plays handbells here at Bethany, and for a while she worked with the youth. Recently, she married Joe Polly, and both her and Joe are um, engineers at Pratt. Nathan was 11 years old when we joined Bethany, and so he did. He spent a lot of time here. He was in all of the youth groups. He went through confirmation. He went to Chick. He played in the Salt Band. And for two summers, he worked up at the Pines. Nathan is also an engineer, and he also plays bass guitar with the worship team. <laughs> Ken is also an engineer at Pratt, and he's been with UTC for most of his career. My um, current job outside the house is I am laboratory coordinator at Connecticut College for biology, botany, and neuroscience. Um, I've also been professor and lecturer, lecturers at a couple of different universities and researchers at a couple of pharmaceutical companies. Thank you. And could you tell us a little bit about how you come to be sitting here with us this morning? Well, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to start off talking a little bit about the types of abuse. Mm -hmm. Um... You know, it's something that if you do a online or a Google search for and looking at the types of abuse, you will see that sometimes you'll get different answers. Sometimes you'll have four or five or ten. But looking at abuse, it can kind of be um, categorized into five pretty large categories. And that is neglect, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, physical abuse, and verbal or psychological abuse. 
And I can tell you that the statistics, the worldwide statistics of the prevalence of abuse is staggering. Abuse knows no barriers, no, no socioeconomic barriers, ethnic barriers, age barriers, any way you want to divide we as God's people, it knows no barriers. Now, some groups do experience a higher instance of abuse, but no group is excluded. So how did I come to be sitting here today? <laughs> well, besides, or maybe because of, those alarming statistics, and out of a real deep-seated desire to help people to come alongside them, and because I am one of those statistics, abuse has profoundly affected who I am, who I see myself, how I react in certain situations, and it has perverted my image of who I am and my understanding of being made in God's image. Now, these things are like really tough to talk about, and they are even probably even tougher to hear. So I want to go on just a little bit more, but I want to kind of move to something that's going to be a little more comfortable for me to talk with and maybe a little easier for you to hear. And that is a teaching, uh, a teaching device. I'm going, I'm not a literary person, so I know there's a name for it, but I don't know what's, what it's actually called. But I want to talk about it as my box. I know you were all wondering why it was sitting up here. And some very general terms of things and stuff. Now, the box for me is where I have placed all of these things or stuff that are, as a, that are a consequence or, an, or from the abuse. And in the box, I, can, I, um, I put these things and I hide themselves away from other people, away from myself, and away from God. Now, when I talk about healing or when I've gone through periods of healing, I talk about taking my box out, opening it up, looking to see what's inside, and trying to get rid of the stuff that's in the box. And over the many years, I have been able to get rid of a bunch of stuff that's in the box through counseling, through learning about abuse and about its effects on people, through prayer, through journaling. But unfortunately, I have never been able to totally empty my box. Now, in times when I am not healing, I talk about it or I think about it as I've packed all of those things up in my box. I've shoved it up on a, on a shelf, and I try to forget about it, but I can't. I mean, I walk by this box every single day, so I always know it's there, but if the stuff is in the box, I try to ignore it. Now, inevitably, something happens in my life, and my box comes flying off of the shelf. <laughs> the contents spill out, and I'm faced with the dilemma of, do I just pack the box up and put it back on the shelf, or do I deal with it? One of the things that I find really amazing is that when my box sits up on that shelf and I'm not working on healing, the stuff inside seems to multiply. Mm. Karen, thank you very, very much. Kathy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, let's say I've been a member of a covenant church since just after I met my husband, Bruce. He invited me to church when we started dating. Um, 
We have two beautiful children, Emma and Samuel, and I've had a variety of jobs um, over many years. And I um, have the heart of a servant, so I have volunteered, usually even when I'm working, I'm usually volunteering somewhere. And I've had a variety of positions, volunteer positions at Bethany Covenant. Great. And how is it that you come to be here with us this morning also? Um, I experienced uh, trauma from several types of abuse in my childhood and young adult years. And... Um, went to counseling, which definitely helped get perspective and helped me kind of process it. But I realized I hadn't um, fully surrendered it, mm-hmm. that I was still carrying things around with me, some heaviness. And it wasn't until I invited Jesus Christ into the mix mm-hmm. that I was really able um, to surrender it. And um, five years ago, through Women Ministries, I was introduced to a program called Mending the Soul. And thought this is amazing because it, it helped me understand that um, who my identity in Christ as opposed to what the mirrors in the world were telling me um, I was. And I got really excited and thought we have to do this at Bethany, but I got no traction five years ago. So I thought, well, it's just not, not time. And then last fall, Pastor Craig at the end of service offered up a prayer for those who may be wounded and wanted for Bethany to be a place of healing and safety for those people. And I thought, it's time. Um, So I approached Pastor Craig and said, whatever the initiative looks like, I would love to be a part of it. And here's why I think I would be a good fit. And while I may always have scars from my experiences, I'm no longer wounded by them. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I know that, uh, that there is a song that has been very instrumental in, for you. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And as they're coming forward, Kathy, I want to tell, ask you to tell us a little bit about this song and well, why. When I was going through facilitator training at the beginning of this year for the Mending the Soul program, um, after working through some of the materials, I got in my car and this song came on the radio. I'd never heard it before. And I, it just resonated with me. I thought, this is what we're dealing with. And coming here this morning when I started my car, this was the song that was playing. So, Wow. All right. Thank you so much. (laughs) Kathy and Karen, I want to thank both of you for trusting us enough to share parts of your story with us today. I know it's risky and it's nerve-wracking but thank you so much for being vulnerable with us today we appreciate that If you wondered if this was the right time, this is the time. The story that they have shared this morning is sadly one that we know uh, that too many others share. Statistically, uh, we know that one in four women will be abused in their lifetime, and one in seven men. Those are staggering statistics. 
And it is important for us to remember that there is always options for dealing with the traumas in life. And there is nothing that God cannot do to redeem those traumas and the individuals. In the case of abuse, there are many, many options, all of which we need to be addressing effectively. First, there is the proactive, systematic issues. Things like working with our authorities and the elected officials to create and modify laws in order to to deter abuse and to seek to protect the abused. To provide care for and healing for the abused. And to provide remediation for those who, uh, who abused others. And we need to continue to talk and to teach and to speak out loud about the effects of abuse and that it is not okay. It is not what God intended for any of us. A second option is that we need to be looking to find appropriate ways for, to help people who have been objects of abuse. Helping the individuals to know that they are not alone to help to bring the secret out of the dark so that healing can begin. We need to find appropriate legal recourse. We need to find appropriate individual counseling, group therapy, support groups of various focuses for individuals, both men and women, as well as children who have been abused. And we need to find those safe places and, sh- of, and shelters, particularly in the case of domestic abuse, for individuals who need to leave an abusive situation and find a safe place to live. A third option that we can be all involved with is finding appropriate help for people who have been abusers, teaching them to take responsibility for their actions and where possible, to make amends. We also need to help guide them to individual counseling and therapy, also to group counseling and therapy, to support groups, again, both for women and for men, because abuse and abusers is not gender-specific. Both men and women can be abusers, as well as abused. It's exciting to see that God appears to be leading some of us here at Bethany to address this area of care for those who have been abused. And we know that the trauma of abuse creates significant wounds, as we've heard in that song. And most often, these wounds can fester in the deep and the darkness of shame and of secrecy many, many times for years. God speaks to this in the scriptures. Secrets, except for a surprise party, secrets have negative power. Because things that are buried deep and kept as secrets tend to fester and grow. As Karen was telling us about the box, put on the shelf and ignored, things seem to multiply. And they get larger as time goes on. God speaks to this throughout the Bible. And in one place we find these profound words 
that came originally from the prophet Isaiah, actually they came originally from God to the prophet Isaiah, Jesus quotes them as he begins his ministry here on earth when he came. Listen to Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This happens to be the core section of scripture of a ministry entitled Mending the Soul. Listen to the mission of Mending the Soul. Mending the Soul exists to bring glory to God by restoring his original design in his children. Mending the Soul provides biblically rooted and psychologically proven abuse healing curricula and trains non-professionals to deliver them in community-based settings worldwide at a minimum cost to the participants. Mending the Soul is committed to seeing wholeness returned throughout the world. Kathy and Karen, I know that both of you have been impacted deeply by this ministry of Mending the Soul. Um, can you can tell I us... Can something there? Sure. I did a Google search for Mending the Soul within 50 miles of this location. You know what came up? Our names. That's it. That's You're it. it. That's it. Yeah. Oh, there's such potential here for God to do a great ministry. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. It is. It is. And so with that excitement and with that potential, tell a little bit about how each of you were impacted by mending the soul, and then we'll talk about what's next. Um, Well, for me, working through the materials, again, gave me some insight into how Christ sees me um, versus how I had been seeing myself. Um, But also, it it has given me some language um, that I've been able to use. Like, um, for instance, a little bit ago, my son observed me withdrawing from something, and he interpreted my behavior as um, being upset. So when he approached me about it and, you know, why are you upset? And I explained that, no, I'm actually not upset. And I explained that um, one of my coping strategies is withdrawal. When I'm feeling anxious about some certain situations, I, I pull away. So that launched into a great conversation about triggers and coping strategies. So, Okay, thank you. Karen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer back to my box. Uh, my box came off the shelf a couple of years ago. And when it spilled out, it was overflowing with stuff. So again, I was forced with the, th- with the option of do I repack it or do I deal with it? And I made the choice to deal with it. So I went back into counseling. And again, I did not find the answers to the questions and the doubts that I had, the things that seemed to be still keeping me separate from, from truly experiencing God. And then... 
The Mending the Soul book was recommended to me. I bought the book. In about two hours, I read through the book, crying most of the way. <laughs> and, I'll, and my assessment at the end of reading this book was, wow, that is a really different approach than anything I have tried in my past. So how has Mending the Soul helped me? Well, oh, I kind of skipped something. It's probably not necessary, but... <laughs> Um, one of the things that I found out that when my box came off and I read the, the Mending the Soul book, I went, you know what? I am in a part place in my life where I don't want to repack this box. And my work responsibilities were in an all-time low. And I really was just ready. And so as I said... Here comes Mending the Soul. What did Mending the Soul do? It gave me the framework to seek answers to the questions and doubts that I had and offered God's truth as the answers. Mending the Soul gave me the words to name all of the stuff that's in my box. And boy, there is something powerful about a name. And once those things were named and they were illuminated by God's truth and in God's life, I could finally see them for what they really were. The fears, the lies, the shame, the doubts, my coping mechanisms, and all of those things that I really believed deep down inside that were really my doing, but I, it was the wall I had put up between myself and God. And it was preventing me from really, truly, intimately experiencing who God was. Mending the soul opened my eyes once again to see that God has been and is relentlessly seeking a love relationship with me and at the same time gently asking me to surrender everything to him. Everything. Everything including <laughs> the stuff in my box. And so mending the soul brought me to the place of a decision. Repack it or... Do I surrender it? <sighs> After that moment of surrender, my mind was flooded with this image of God as a daddy and me as a little girl and him saying to me, see, that wasn't so bad. I can fix this. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Karen, Kathy, do you want to say anything else on this one? Okay. Is there a biblical story or scripture passage that has stood out to you? And then let's move into, where do we go from here? What's next? What are the next steps? So either one of you. Um, scripture for me, um, and not just with regard to this, but this is just one that um, resonates with me a lot. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity and fear, but of uh, love and strength and self-control. Great. Thank you. For me? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. okay, for me, my favorite, and this is a Bible story. Um, I also say this is with some age-acquired perspective, and that is Matthew 18, 12 through 24. And this is the story of the lost sheep. And God's relentless and reckless love. 
One of my absolute favorite songs is Reckless Love by Corey Ashbury. It's the focus of this song. I really identify with that sheep. Not only have I wandered off, I have actively hid. And I am so thankful that God is so relentless in his pursuit of me and his pursuit of all of us. And as the verse goes on, as those verses go on, it talks about how God is happy when he finds me. And I am just, I just can't really tell you the, the joy and the love that I feel in knowing that. And I just know, I mean, he's happy when he finds me. He's happy when he finds any of us when he can bring us back into his flock. Amen, amen. And so what are the next steps for each of you or for you now, and what are the next steps for mending the soul here at Bethany? Um, Well, we wanted to introduce this program to Bethany Covenant to um, encourage people to participate in a small group. Um, Since we are female facilitators, it would be a female um, support group, and we're thinking possibly after Labor Day, and it would be about 12 weeks, depending on the pace of things. Um, and ultimately, we would love to see a men's group as well. Um, and then open it up to other communities, other churches, and um, you know the greater Berlin community, but throughout Connecticut, because as Pastor Craig said, we're it. Yeah. When I registered for the facilitator training in January... The teaching facilitator wrote back and said, thank goodness there's someone in Connecticut. And I thought, someone? Um, so. And actually, someone did actually reach out to me already through the Mending the Soul website. And um, she goes to a church in Manchester. So people are looking for some resources. Right. So I'm thrilled to be a part of this. And to reach back to last week, I kind of feel like I'm on a mission from God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. Awesome. Jesus gives us some important messages in the scripture, and this is one of them. What is the value of your soul to God? Could your worth be defined by an amount of money? God doesn't abandon or forget even the small sparrow he has made. How then he could he forget or abandon you? What about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. So you never need to worry, for you are more valuable to God than anything else in this world. Luke 12, 6 through 7. The psalmist writes for a word describing the work of God in rescuing and redeeming us. Listen to what is written. It's just one of the few times besides mending the nets that the fishermen did, that the word mending appears. Eternal one, my true God, I cried out to you for help. You mended the shattered pieces of my life. Psalm 30, verse 2. Healing and wholeness are the work of God. Our task personally is to take every opportunity God gives us to have him mend our soul and make us whole. Healing and wholeness are the work of God. Our task as a church is to reach out in care and aid 
to foster God's work of mending the soul of others so they can be made whole. Let us, each one of us, seek the help we need and give the help we can so that people's souls, including our own, might truly be mended by God. Extending God's love and compassion to a hurting world, to heal the hurting, mend the broken, and redeem the lost. That's the core of our mission of the church. We don't know how God is moving exactly, but we know that God is moving in our midst. And we know that God is and seeks to mend more souls. We know that for a fact. Following our worship service today now, the Stephen ministers that you saw earlier will be around the sanctuary and they'll be in my office um, right outside the door to the right. If you'd like to join them in prayer, perhaps for a friend or a relative or perhaps for yourself, they're there for you. And I'm going to invite the Stephen ministers that are on our prayer team today to station themselves around the room right now so that you can see where they are because once we stand up, you're not going to know where to find them. And so if you want prayer after the close of the service, you may go to one of those Stephen ministers and you may ask them to pray with you. If you are desiring more information specifically about mending the soul, Kathy and Karen will be in the library, which is immediately across the lobby for you, and they will be there ready to talk with you. So they're going to go now. Worship team, if you all want to come back up, you're welcome to do that. Also in the lobby, you're going to be able to find information about some of the tools and the options that we have spoken about today. And perhaps that you are seeking information about mending the soul, but you are not quite ready to take this step yet. There will be information and contact information available for you. You can seek myself out or one of the other pastors at your leisure. You know our email addresses. And so seek us out. We will get you in touch with the right people. This is an opportunity for you to be able to receive and to heal. This is an opportunity for you to be able to pray for your brothers and sisters that are hurting as well. Let's pray together. Our loving and merciful God, you indeed have created us in your likeness. You have breathed into us life, and you said that it is good. We are good, very good. And yet we know, God, that we are all broken people. And you desire to redeem us, to mend us, and to restore us to wholeness. We thank you, God, that you are raising up people to serve us, to serve you in the areas of Stephen ministry and in the area in the ministry of mending the soul. Pour out, God, your spirit upon each of them as they walk with and beside your hurting people, on the journey to wholeness. And we thank you and we praise you, God, for the work that you are already doing, that you have already begun here today, and for the healing that will continue in the lives of many. We thank you, Lord God, and praise you. Amen.